When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Second Helping on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the On3 Network, alongside my great friend and co-host, Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Also, Brent Beard, a voter. Well, you talk about an interesting Heisman Trophy race. Really? <laughs> Brent has one of those votes for the most prestigious honor in all of collegiate athletics. The Heisman Trophy. Brent, we've got a lot of games to talk about this week involving SEC teams, but we got to start, right, with the coaching carousel cranking up. Used to take a little bit deeper into the season, at least, it seemed like, anyway. Now you've got Texas A&M making the move on Jimbo Fisher. Mississippi State goes ahead and decides to end the Zach Arnett experiment really is what that felt like less than a year into it your thoughts as we head into again a busy slate of games but more than anything coaching changes taking over headlines Uh, and they will continue and we still don't quite know do we travel what's going to happen at Arkansas um, with Sam Pittman is a possibility not saying he's going to lose his job but uh, we've got that too uh, Jimbo certainly not a uh, surprise, although I'd heard that they were considering keeping him because of the Texas situation to keep the uh, the roster intact. Uh, that that's going to be a fascinating job to see who gets that. Uh, I mean, we've heard everything from the the ridiculous to the sublime in Lane Kiffin and Mike Elko and. Uh, Mike Norvell and Dan Lanning said definitely no. Jeff Trailer, uh, Kalen DeBoer from Washington, Trailer is from UTSA. So no doubt Jimbo got one of the greatest deals in the history of mankind uh, in that even if he takes a job, uh, he still gets his full pay, which is amazing, frankly. Uh, and I guess when we, we take this one at a time real quick, but Trav Jimbo really never got it done, did he, for what they thought he would do. Uh, I think he, I think his offense got stale. And, you know, the, the humbling thing for him is he probably not going to get another A&M job anytime soon. Uh, it, you know, my, and my question asking out loud is I really wonder – um, what he's going to do next. I mean, a lot of people think he'll sit on the ranch and collect his money, but you know, and I know these guys want to coach and uh, will he take a coordinator job somewhere, maybe Trav for uh, a couple of years just to get going again. Could be, but as you've outlined here in the opening, doesn't need to be in a hurry. I think he's also got a son, who is going to play college football at Samford coming up here in the next year or so. So maybe he wants to uh, enjoy that aspect of things of being a dad, but you're right. Football coaches typically don't stray too far 
from the game. I think for Jimbo, too, he's also at a point in his career in terms of how attractive he is as a candidate at, say, a Power 5 type situation. Maybe there's still that on the table for him in the not-too-distant future, but it would seem like, sort of like we saw with a previous uh, Texas A&M coach, right? Dennis Francione, (laughs) guys like that, when they run through that cycle and they hit their zenith of popularity or uh, in terms of uh, income potential, uh, it's, it is a pretty good step back a lot of times. It's to a Texas state or a North Texas, um, you know, or a program of, of that level. But we'll see. Uh, Jimbo's a good football coach. I don't yeah. think there's much doubt about that. I do think, as you alluded to there, a little bit outdated in some concepts when it comes to offensive football. Not so much even just personnel groupings or the usage of tight ends and two backs and things like that. But not much in the way of tempo, right. not w- much in the way of pre-snap movement or mm-hmm. eye candy or those type of things that have become such a big part of the college game these days. So uh, it'll be interesting if he does take another swing at it, even as a coordinator. You know, I, I think he's going to have to show that you know he's willing to sort of step it up. And that's where the Petrino marriage maybe was not as impactful as Mm -hmm. some folks thought it would be because Petrino too shares a lot of those same beliefs as we, we get more and more into this new era of college football. So, you know, I think for both those guys, uh, it could be difficult moving forward, but Zach Arnett, you kind of touched on this last week, the potential for some movement at Mississippi state, boy, what a Saturday night in college station too. Really? Really? Jimbo wins the game 51 to 10 gets fired. Zach Arnett, mm-hmm. it would seem less surprisingly, loses the game by 41 points, gets fired. Uh, that wasn't the place to be for head coaches last yeah. Saturday night at Kyle Field, apparently. So with Mississippi State, uh, the wish list, there's been talk about Dan Mullen maybe reuniting with State. That seems to have uh, been ratcheted down here a little bit, maybe in the last day or two. So I think you're you're thinking more along the lines of some realistic options from the group of five looking to take a step up, maybe a hot coordinator somewhere, Brent. Um, Jamie Chadwell from Liberty, Lance Leopold from Kansas, who's done a great job, as is Willie Fritz of Tulane. John Sumrall of Troy is just is a shining star. Uh, Rhett Lashley from uh, at SMU. Now, Mullen, his name's been mentioned, but again, if you don't like a recruit and he doesn't, at some point that gets to you. Now, you told me years ago, and I thought, thought about this, when you take a job, the last thing you need to do is, unless you're a Steve Spurrier type, uh, is uh, particularly if you are promoted from D coordinator to head coach, you don't fire a lot of people, A, and B, you don't change the offense. Uh, but, and unfortunately, Zach Arnett did both. Now, he's yeah. a really good D coordinator, but Travis, obvious, he wasn't ready for that job uh, and getting rid of a lot of that personnel. You've got one of the better quarterbacks in the league and Will Rogers, and he was just lost in that offense. So, uh, point 
try a point well taken when you first start probably the minimal amount of changes you make sometimes are better yeah we talked about this going into the season with the understanding that state had pretty much scrapped the air raid yes in that if you're going to make that type of move away from what you have recruited to over the previous two or three yeah. years this mississippi yeah. state offense with will rogers at quarterback uh, with the way it had built its offensive line, uh, it was built for the air raid. And, yeah. of course, the unfortunate, tragic, untimely passing of Mike Leach changed everything. But in Zach Arnett's case, you don't have the cachet. I made the analogy no. back in the preseason to Alabama, and this is going way back, but it's what struck a chord with me. Alabama in 1989 going from Bill Curry and Homer Smith's offense. Yeah. Really? To Gene Stallings in 1990. And Gene wasn't about tricking you or no, you know, being no. uh, innovative on offense. It was bludgeoning ball. It was, you talk about uh, joyless murder ball, mm-hmm. uh, like we've seen under Nick Saban in some years at Alabama. That was pretty much Gene Stallings' approach. Mash you offensively with the run game, stymie you with a dominant defense, and win the kicking game. That's yes. what it was about. So when Gene Stallings got off to an 0-3 start in 1990, he still was afforded the opportunity. And I think Zach Arnett tried to maintain this during the course of this season to continue to instill and implement the program big picture wise uh, that he thought needed to be there. And he ultimately proved to be right. Now, also in 1990, we saw Alabama improve over yes. the course of that season upset a top five team in Tennessee on the road beat Auburn uh to cap that regular season got blasted by Louisville in the Fiesta Bowl but still the message had been sent that the the change in culture the change in approach was beginning to take hold we just didn't see that with Zach Arnett over the course of this season now look state had some injuries I think you definitely have to take that into account, starting with Will Rogers. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, especially in today's game, you just aren't afforded that no. two or three year sort of grace period to get it going with the way you want to play football. And the other problem that State has, Travis, and Arkansas does too. Now, this will end next year, uh, but for the moment, they are still in the SEC West, uh, which will never be a picnic for any coach. No. And look, even with the divisions going away, when you're adding Texas and Oklahoma, uh, it, it's it's going to be even tougher uh, it really than will. it was with divisions. Yes. So uh, there is no break on the horizon for programs like Mississippi State, uh, who I guess still, because of the ruling here in the last day or so, the continued rulings, I guess, where transitioning programs like Jacksonville State mm-hmm. and also James Madison are concerned in terms of bowl eligibility. They're not eligible and continue not to be, which I think is asinine. You're, if you're it a Division One program, why do you have to wait out bowl eligibility? Really? Um, I guess State could still qualify. There's, there's teams out there uh, that could qualify for bowls. As five and seven teams. I mean, we got yeah. so many games these days, and you need teams. So we'll see. There are a lot of things to consider with that Mississippi State. Uh, I think Summerall, if if that's a guy you can get, 
he he strikes me as a, a stabilizing presence. Yes, um, absolutely. That, that could could help Kentucky. Uh, excuse me. He previously of Kentucky before he went to Troy um, could really do some pretty good things there at Mississippi State. Brent, we've got a pretty much full slate of games. We got one team on a bye this week in the SEC. Is that what it is? Uh, Vanderbilt. Yes. Vanderbilt. Yeah. That's why I wouldn't remember. Um, <laughs> so we will review as we preview. Typically the case here on second helping. We will do that once again this week as the Alabama Crimson Tide in that noon Eastern window on Saturday gets an FCS opponent in the mocks of Chattanooga. UTC 7-3 and three overall, 6-2 and two in that Southern Conference. Alabama, of course, coming off its latest impressive performance, a 49-21 win over Kentucky up in the Commonwealth. Jalen Milrow continues, Brent, to be a touchdown machine. Uh, Alabama had a couple turnovers in that game, but you really wouldn't know it based on the dominance that the Crimson Tide enjoyed over Mark Stoops' team last Saturday. I thought that was a real character win for Alabama. They had the uh, the chance, uh, frankly, after the LSU win uh, to, well, uh, the game starts at 11 Central Time. We'll just wake up about 12 or 12.30, but, boy, they were ready to go. And, Trap, frankly, that game, for all intents and purposes, was almost over the end of the first quarter. Uh, Milrow was very efficient. Since halftime of the Tennessee game, Bama scored on 17 of 25, not non-garbage time possession. So that that has been really incredible. One thing I want you to talk about a little bit is Jaden Roberts and what he has done for that offensive line. I think he's called Swamp Monster if I if I got the nickname right, uh, but it, it's still. Uh, this team has really turned it up uh, on both sides of the ball. Still need to figure out what to do about uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry and returning punts and things of that nature. But a but a very sharp, efficient performance trial for the Tide. Yeah, I came out and didn't waste a lot of time. It was a Kentucky crowd that, you know, was semi into it, I would say, especially with uh, Kentucky coming off the win the previous week on the road at Mississippi State, but Alabama did exactly what it needed to do on the road. You said it, efficiency continues to be a friend of the Alabama offense. You mentioned that 17-25 of 25 stat. That also applies to the last two games for Alabama on third downs. And so uh, sustaining drives, opening the game with uh, – Three third down conversions, including one for the touchdown to Amari Nyblack. So it's an Alabama team very much trending in the right direction. And now it gets a chance to rest and recover, you would think, on Saturday in that matchup with Chattanooga before you get into that gauntlet of Auburn on the road. And now, as we know for sure, Crimson Tide and Dogs once again in Atlanta. Uh, Real quick, Trav. Uh, a lot of folks have talked about Jane Roberts and the job that he's done on the offensive line. I'm sure you've wrote uh, about that. Um, uh, I, I'm not saying he's Superman, but sometimes you just find a piece that you didn't have before that makes a difference. 
Sometimes it takes a couple of injuries, and that's really what it took. Darian Dahlcourt goes out. Uh, Terrence Ferguson goes out. And now you get to essentially your fourth option at yep. guard behind Tyler Booker and the two aforementioned options that we had seen pre-Jaden Roberts. But he has been a revelation, Jaden Roberts, no doubt about it. Physical guy. And this is a guy who's been around, mm-hmm. right? So he, he's not some newcomer or a first or second year player. This is a guy who qualifies pretty much at this point for upperclassman status. In his development, he's made good use of his time. When his opportunity presented itself, again, he plays with power. He plays with an edge. He's always looking for work. Uh, He has also helped them not just in the run game but in pass pro too because they were getting pushed around on the nose of the pocket a good bit earlier in the season. And I know a lot of folks wanted to see Jalen Milrow navigate the pocket better, but I think there were times where Jalen felt like, I'm getting pushed up into my face. I don't really feel like I have an option other than to go out the back door or drift left or, you know, those kind of things. But what you're seeing now with Booker at one guard, Roberts at the other, they're firming up that pocket. And you're seeing Jalen, I think, more confident about stepping up in there and then either making throws down the field or at times hurting defenses with his legs. Also in that noon Eastern window on Saturday. By the way, both these games that we're starting with, SEC Network Plus, ESPN Network yeah. Plus. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to navigate that app. Oh fans of Alabama, Mississippi State. A Zach Arnettless Mississippi State team welcomes in state foe, Southern Miss, uh, to Starkville on Saturday for an early kickoff. Uh, it'll be interesting if Will Rogers is good to go uh, at the quarterback position. Again, this is a state team that's had injuries. Um, Southern Miss has had certainly its ups and downs this season at three and seven and two and five in the Sun Belt, but kind of lost in all of this with the Arnett news is again, the potential at least is there for state to win this week, maybe do the unthinkable in the Egg Bowl, get a win over Ole Miss and uh, secure bowl eligibility. I don't think it's going to happen, but mathematically, it's still a possibility. Yeah, it really is. And a matter of fact, in that game last week with with A and M, uh, Trap, we had a quarterback battle by the end of the game of Chris Parson and Jalen Henderson. <laughs> those are those are names that people aren't really familiar with, but by the time you get around to uh, 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 to the injuries that some of these teams have got, that that's where they got that they do too. And, and listen, uh, uh, not only has Rogers been hurt, but Trav, how much has Woody Marks been hurt? Hurt? Uh, uh, excuse the double hurts there, but how much has that hurt Mississippi State? It is hurt, and it was a concern of mine going into the season with the shift to more of a load being placed on Woody Marks in terms of the run game and how would he hold up in that regard and really just running back depth in general for the Bulldogs. But it was going to take an alignment of stars, really, for this state offense in transitioning away from the air raid to what Zach Arnett wanted more of under his regime to maximize its potential in year one of that scheme. And it, it certainly required healthy Will Rogers 
and Woody Marks. Neither of those things happened during yeah. the course of this season, and as a result, we're kind of seeing what we see. What you what you don't want to see, though, over the remainder of this season, because I think State really likes the potential of Chris Parson, mm-hmm. is for him to sustain sort of regression yeah. as a result right. of maybe being thrown into this thing too soon and also just in a situation where there's not a lot of positivity in general right now. So you don't want to lose potentially your future quarterback uh, in what is essentially a lost season otherwise. So, yeah, we'll see if State can get it done at home and at least provide maybe a little bit of intrigue where that Egg Bowl is concerned. What is that? That's Thanksgiving night, right? Yeah. Yes. So one week from tonight, we get State and Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Also in that noon Eastern time slot. I wonder how SEC Network goes about picking from those three or four games. I guess guess, uh, it may have come down to more Mississippi State, Southern Miss quality of the opponent, but Could be. Uh, SEC Network, noon Eastern Saturday, UL Monroe, 2-8, and eight, and, and overall, and 0-7 and in the Sun Belt, travels to Oxford, where Ole Miss needs a much-needed respite after being thrashed by the now top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. Hey, Lane had a little something for you Kirby did. and UGA during the early stages of that game at Sanford Stadium. Pulled out a little fake punt as well, but yeah. ultimately, I think as we both sort of suspected, it comes down to roster, and more specifically, Georgia's offensive line against that Ole Miss defensive line, uh, and the ability to just really control the game, and ultimately, Georgia just too much for the Rebels, who still, you know, 8-2, and 5-2 in the SEC, 10 wins right there on the table still well, for Lane Kiffin. Oh, yeah, and New Year's Six Bowl game, possibly. Yep. Uh, that that would say a lot for them. Double-digit wins, uh, and he would have that, what, Trav, in two out of three years? Uh, that, that'd be rather impressive for Lane with that. But uh, in talking to uh, uh, one of the Ole Miss radio crew this week, he made an interesting point. Um, he said Lane is growing up somewhat, uh, and you kind of saw it after this game. Uh, there wasn't any blaming the players. Uh, he he basically said, we've got to recruit better. And, and Georgia often is a litmus test with a lot of teams, and he was very honest about that. But I, I think the, the point is, and I give Lane a lot of credit for this, um, I'm not saying that they, that they were going to win the division every year, but Trev, they made it to, to a point where they're close to winning double-digit games. Uh, I know they struggle against elite teams, and and everybody does. Your point's a good one that they played really well early against against Georgia. The problem is they only got three points on their last eight possessions. So my my question here is um, Lane is getting to that point and I hope he doesn't necessarily plateau. And is this as good as it as it's going to get with Ole Miss vying for a New Year's Six? Uh, so give him credit for that and reaching this level. Uh, you know, I, I'm just really curious, Travis, where, where do they go from here? 
Yeah, and where does Lane maybe go from here? Yeah, yes. Because he's been linked to that Texas A&M opening. Not sure he's going to be a viable candidate for that gig, but uh, no pun intended. But oh. uh, you got to think there are some some openings that are going to uh, reveal themselves where he could be in the mix. I think yeah. it's a great fit right now for both he and Ole Miss. Uh, I think Ole Miss if it continues to operate in the portal like it has, has a great chance to be a continuous, a consistent, even with Oklahoma and Texas coming in the league, uh, at least an eight-win team you know, right. in that scenario right. because Lane is going to work that portal on the offensive side that is almost going to ensure seven, eight, nine wins a season. Absolutely. Now, defensively, I think it's going to always be an issue. Uh, but I think Pete Golding as a coordinator in that situation uh, probably can do some of his best work. So, yeah, I think it's a great fit right now. Ole Miss wins 10 games, gets to a New Year's six. That's the ceiling right yep. now for Ole Miss football. Yep, it is. You know, it is. And it's and it's going to be the the ceiling moving forward with a with a new SEC on the way. Uh, speaking of Texas teams, Texas A&M going to host Abilene Christian in that noon Eastern window on Saturday. Another SEC Network Plus, ESPN Plus game. Uh, you just wonder about A&M psyche right now, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this for Jalen Henderson. We talk about him as the third guy to take snaps, I guess, for A&M at the quarterback position this season, but throws for 150 in the win over Mississippi State with a couple of touchdowns. Runs for another 60 with a couple more touchdowns. Pretty good stuff from Jalen Henderson behind center for A&M in that win over State last Saturday night. And, uh, you know, look, A&M's bowl eligible. So it'll be interesting to see how this team kind of finishes things out, especially with a trip to LSU on the not-too-distant horizon. Well, and my question with this, Trav, looking ahead a little bit, is – if you're taking over that job, and and aren't you in pretty good shape at quarterback uh, in, in that quarterback room? I mean, obviously, um, uh, you know, Wigman, Johnson. I know some of these guys may move along uh, either uh, to the next level or, or to another school. And, and then with Henderson, listen, whoever takes that job over. <clears throat> There's certainly not going to be any lack of talent, but particularly if they keep that front seven and defense together for next year. Yeah, it'll be interesting based on the the coaching change, uh, how their roster is impacted. You know, so much has been made about how A&M has utilized NIL to assemble its current roster. Well, NIL might help A&M keep a lot of that together. Sure might. You know, if guys have got deals or have setups that have them in a really good place. Are they really going to be that tempted to, to sort of hit the market to see what they can pick up elsewhere? It's, you know, it's just one of those new questions that we don't know the answer to at this point in all of this. So roster will be interesting. You're right. I think quarterback should be fine. Uh, Wiegman's going to be coming off that injury. Uh, You know, he's also a really good baseball player too. Mm -hmm. So, now, how does that play into his future maybe as well? Uh, A&M, look, Oklahoma, Texas in the league, A&M, we talk about Ole Miss's ceiling. 
Ole Miss's ceiling should be the four for Texas A&M. It should be. Yeah. But in my lifetime, right. it's been more along the lines of Ole Miss's ceiling. So Absolutely. Uh, we need to see it, I guess, at some point before we can believe it. 3.30 Eastern on CBS Saturday from Knoxville, the Georgia Bulldogs traveling to Neyland Stadium to, Stadium to take on the Vols. Boy, Tennessee limping back home. After Eli Drinkwitz, Eli enjoyed that one too. By the way, in oh, case you were wondering, did, did he? Eli enjoyed that drubbing yes. of the Tennessee balls last week, Brent. <laughs> he, hey, Trav, he basically said he owned he owns the state of Tennessee now, doesn't he? <laughs> state champs, and then he at the handshake, he he tells Josh Heupel, "I stand on business. We stand on business, Josh." Now, <laughs> now look, Drink kind of scurried away quickly after yes. talking trash. He didn't yes. exactly hang in there on the handshake to no. see if there was going to no. be any response <laughs> from Big Josh Heupel, but uh, it was it was entertaining nonetheless. And that's more of the stuff we need in the SEC, to yes. be honest with you, because oh, yeah. look, Missouri year in and year out isn't going to be this Missouri in all likelihood. No. Hell of a season. Great season. Like Ole Miss, very mm-hmm. much New Year's Six relevant at this point. That's not going to happen year in and year out. But yeah. if guys like Eli Drinkwitz are at places like Missouri with mm-hmm. their personalities and, you know, what they can offer from that standpoint, hey, it makes it makes it better, I think, in the in the league. We we've got plenty of milk toast. Yeah, in the league right now. Oh yeah, Need a few yeah. More Eli as a lane isn't a bad thing. Um, you know these sort of mid-level to lower-level programs in the SEC keep them keep them entertaining if nothing else. And look, Missouri is a really really good football team. They really are. Uh, maybe uh, uh, we thought they could do be where they are uh, with Brady Cook, Schrader. Uh, Schrader's as tough as they come, uh, and I'm really impressed with him and and, and the things that he has done. Uh, also, and and while we're talking about Missouri, real quick, Travis, uh, in in SEC media days, Drink said, "I'm done with the offense. I need to get somebody else in here and run it." And that you know. Uh, Sometimes coaches need to say with doing what they're doing and what they're known for. But, boy, him giving that up made a huge difference in that team, didn't it? It did. It did. And, you know, the defensive coordinator hire he made a couple of years ago yes. didn't yeah. hurt either. I mean, did a number on that Tennessee offense really last did. Saturday. So the stakes, obviously, uh, for Tennessee go up even more so this week. With Georgia visiting, Georgia just surgeon-like in taking Ole Miss apart over the course of four quarters. Carson Beck, as quietly as you possibly can probably, has thrown for over 3,000 yards this season, you know? (laughs) And it it, it doesn't get talked about enough. It's really some unheralded types on that Georgia offense, Dejan Edwards at the running back position. Uh, that have really stepped forward to help Georgia sustain its uh, success uh, on offense. And now here comes Brock Bowers back, probably a couple weeks yeah. earlier from that ankle yeah. injury, Brent, than anybody anticipated. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and and was effective, too. To me, the thing that really sums them up are two things, really, uh, as examples. 
uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson. He's a starter. Uh, he's out for the year uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Well, they replace him with a freshman in C.J. Allen, and uh, Allen ends up with his first career sack and nine tackles. And then the the, the guy that um, uh, that we thought would would eventually be really good. It took him a while to uh, settle in uh, with this team. Is Dom Lovett? Uh, who is stepping up? So, uh, Trev, Georgia is 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 Alabama like, and the fact of uh, okay, someone goes down. Not only do they step up, but they step up and have a quality performance too. They do. They absolutely do. And when you look at this game. Saturday afternoon in Knoxville from the Tennessee side of things going to need more than 45, 50 rushing yards from those three yeah. running backs. Really? Um, you know, Joe Milton led Tennessee in rushing against Missouri last Saturday with 36 yards. The backs, Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, Dylan Sampson, got to get more out of those guys in this game. You can't just expect Joe Milton and what that current receiving core is consists of to carry you against a Georgia team. You've got to maintain, you've got to establish at least the threat of the run, or it's going to be a long afternoon for the Vols on their home field. And like most teams, when we talk about games involving Georgia and Alabama too, still, uh, the faster start you obviously can, you can get off to obviously the better, especially for a Tennessee team that seems to be on the descent right now and you're playing at home. uh, And those fans went into the season thinking that this program was going to take another step forward. Uh, If nothing else need to be competitive uh, in this game against Georgia, not get kind of uh, smoked uh, for lack of a better way of putting it four o'clock Eastern on sec network Saturday, Auburn talk about ascending teams hosting the Aggies of New Mexico state. You know, I didn't know this. New Mexico State, am I reading this right, is 8-3 and three yes, yes. on the season? Yes. Uh, one of those losses, by the way, to our Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii. So we like to note that. But, <laughs> you know, I guess I got to ask you, Auburn at 6-4, and four, bowl eligible in year one under Hugh Freeze. Knowing what we know now about some of the competition that Auburn has faced in this last three or four weeks, uh, are you buying into legitimate improvement by this this AU team, or do you think it's had more to do with the the teams they the, the schedule lightening up for them a little bit, or do you think it's a combination of both? I, I think it's probably a combination of both. Mississippi State, Vandy, Arkansas, who really laid an egg. Uh, frankly, uh, I mean they could win uh, seven games which for Hugh Freeze in his first year, I think several things happened here. They finally settled down on quarterback, uh, and Thorne has really done a pretty good job. Uh, we thought they'd be good defensively, and they and they really have been. Uh, Hugh decided early on they had to do something with the line of scrimmage, and something you mentioned last week, Jarquez Hunter, yeah, he, he's rubber stamping 100-yard games yeah, now. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's finally gotten into um, uh, to doing uh, and playing the way he needs to play. And guys like Jalen McLeod, uh, who had three sacks, <clears throat> is uh, really able to come into his own. But I'm just telling you, Trav, this New Mexico State team, Jerry Kill is a coach, and uh, he's familiar. Help me on this, Trav. I think it's epilepsy, right? What Kill has, uh, and it, when he first got it, it really took him off the sidelines for a while. But he's learned to be able to live with it, and only live with it. My, my stars, if you go to New Mexico State and you win eight games, I mean, that's like winning a conference championship and winning double-digit games in some places. Uh, Trav, would it, <laughs> would it surprise you at all? If they gave if they give Auburn more trouble than Arkansas did, it still might, but yeah, it, more so than anything, if that happens, it, I would think it has more to do with Auburn's mindset mm-hmm. and this game being between the road trip to Arkansas yep. and the Iron Bowl. Yes, you know, maybe it plays out that way. But you're right. I do think Auburn has found a groove on the offensive side. That defense continues to play at a nice level as well. K.J. Jefferson, just 116 passing yards last week and just a early knockout punch from the Tigers against an Arkansas team like we were talking about uh, with some teams earlier, like Kentucky coming off a road win. You feel like maybe this team is starting to rebound here in, in November, but not the case. Uh, for the Arkansas, Auburn did what it needed to do in getting out to that, what, 40, 48 to three it was yeah. after three yeah. quarters. Yeah. Really? Uh, so, really. you know, we can talk about whether or not the schedule has something to do with Auburn's uh, success of late. I think that can be true. But when you go on the road and take apart a team uh, in Arkansas like Auburn did, Yes. That tells me there's legitimate improvement. There's no right, doubt about right. that. So, yeah, should be a uh, should be a win for Auburn. Uh, and then you start looking ahead to maybe an opportunity to win eight games if you knock off Alabama in the Iron Bowl. In the primetime window on Saturday night, FIU travels to those Arkansas Razorbacks. FIU four and six, one and six. In Conference USA, Arkansas now after the loss to Auburn, three and seven, just one and six in the SEC. And just as quick as we thought Sam Pittman was safe yes. after that improbable really? win at Florida, now we wonder if he's not so safe. Although, you know, the word that seems to continue to come out of Fayetteville is that as it sits right now, there's a good chance. Sam Pittman could still be back next season. Now you lose a game like this, and, and I think everything is on the table. Yeah, if you lose to right. FIU, and you still got Missouri coming up Thanksgiving week. Uh, I'd say Pittman needs this game on Saturday, and then you know Missouri uh, could, could kind of go away from you and, and still be okay. Yeah, I agree that the. the uh... Um, but they lost a lot of momentum they had from beating Florida uh, with that loss to Auburn. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this or not, but what doesn't help in times like this is when you've got two bizarre incidents going on 
the former offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, after one of the losses, for whatever reason, started emailing students who were. Yeah, he was responding to a student yeah. who sent him some some emails after, I guess, the maybe the Texas A&M game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just exacerbated the situation. And another thing that happened um, over the uh, uh, they they go into the uh, to the locker room and you've got some of the red shirts or, <laughs> or watching Polar Express. Uh, and Pittman said, you know, I didn't know that was going on. And, and you know, did, to, in fairness, he may not have. But, Trav, when you're struggling like they are, incidents like that just stick out like a sore thumb, don't they? Yeah, those are the questions you end up having to answer in a season yeah. like this. And my understanding is it's an entirely separate locker room yeah. from the part of the roster that's really uh, integrated into the plan, that that right. are literally playing in the game. It was a locker room of guys that you just let dress. They're not going to play in all likelihood, uh, but you still have that type of situation. You have to deal with it's been that kind of year for Sam yeah, Pittman. Yeah. Also in primetime Saturday night, talk about a team that needs a win and going to have to get it in a very tough spot. Florida travels to Missouri. Missouri at eight and two now, four and two in the SEC after that thumping of Tennessee last Saturday. Florida got Jaden Daniels. And as a Heisman Trophy voter, I'm going to ask you more about that. When we talk about LSU and Georgia State coming up in just a little bit, but boy, uh, not an easy turnaround for that Gators defense specifically, and not a trip in the park for the offense either. No, but no. Florida, as we sort of outlined a couple weeks ago, heading into that Arkansas game, the urgency that needed to be there to get that win at home to get the six wins because. We knew LSU was coming up on the road. We knew Missouri was coming up on the road. And, oh, by the way, you capped the regular season with a home date against a top-five team in Florida State. I don't know anybody who's had a tougher last few games than Florida uh, with LSU, Missouri, uh, and Florida State. That That's going to be really tough, um, and it's going to be really tough to be on the road Florida really needs a concerted effort by everybody. Uh, but right now, and I, and I really still like Austin Armstrong, but their defense has had a lot of injuries, and uh, their defense has failed them in a lot of ways. I mean, losing Shamir James hurt them, um, uh, one of their better defensive players. And they've also had some Austin Barber's questionable now Damian George may end up uh, covering for him. But, Travis, here's the reality for this, too. And it, you, uh, and I hear it every day, like you do, with us living here in North Florida, is can uh, Billy Napier get it done? And, and again, they're not going to fire him. That, that's not going to happen. Uh, now, if this is going on a year from now, it may be a different conversation. But the concern now is, can they, uh, and I think they are playing hard. Uh, they just don't have the, <clears throat> either the personnel or the personnel doesn't have the experience 
what they need. Now, they do need a, a special teams coordinator. They need an offensive coordinator uh, at some point, too. But, and I'm sure Pops has given you some interesting replies to these things, but they're beginning now to lose some of that recruiting class. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they weren't three. They're now at six. And, Trav, that they've got to stop the bleeding there quickly. That is where Napier could take the biggest hit because yeah. what Florida fans are sort of bracing themselves with right now is still the program builder uh, label and tag mm-hmm. that Napier mm-hmm. came to Florida with. And it has been showing up in terms of earlier recruiting for Florida for the 2024 cycle. But as you said, as of late, been losing some of that recruiting class. So definitely needs to stabilize things on the trail. Get this thing to the early signing date. Remember, you don't have to get it to February anymore. That's right. You only got about a month until you can get these guys signed. uh, And make sure you're well within that top ten. Because whatever you think of recruiting rankings, they matter with fan bases. And so if this thing slides outside of the top 10, then the perception of the big picture for Billy Napier takes on more of a hit. And in that game against LSU, I thought Florida would score in the mid-30s. They did. Yeah. But they gave up 52. Mm -hmm. And again, Jaden Daniels was pretty much a one-man wrecking crew. I think Missouri... The problem for Florida this week is Missouri's motivated. You know, yeah, I, I think people really look are. at Missouri and think, oh, you know, Georgia wrapped up the the East, and you know, what, what, Missouri's playing for a New Year's Six. Missouri's it, playing for a top ten ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still plenty for that team to to play for. And and guys, here's the thing: guys like Cody Schrader, they don't they don't need to be motivated. You know, they're going to play at a high level regardless. That guy's difficult to tackle regardless of the situation. And uh, that that looks to be a a tough ass for Florida on the road this week. Also at 730 Eastern, this one on the SEC Network, Kentucky looking to pick up its seventh win of the season. South Carolina still with an outside shot at six wins, Brent. Uh, Carolina picked up its second SEC win. Last week, Kentucky looking to pick up another SEC road win after falling at home to Alabama uh, a week ago. I guess for Kentucky, you're talking about bowl pecking order here. And for Carolina, you're talking about, again, the outside shot at a non-losing season. Well, I still give uh, uh, Stoops a lot of credit at Kentucky as far as what they, I think, consistently do. Uh, I mean, this is a, what, seven, eight, nine-win team, which speaks well, frankly, uh, of Stoops. Now, they have struggled, obviously, against the the better teams uh, in the league, and everybody's going to be able to do that. But they did not – Trev, they have not gotten out of Devin Leary what they thought they would. He has not been – real consistent. You certainly saw that last week uh, in the Alabama game, not saying he's a bad quarterback, but they just that they thought he would set the woods on fire. And that has not happened. The opposite has happened at Carolina uh, in that Spencer Rattler has been consistent. And at times he's been a star, but the problem in Carolina is uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, 
uh, Trav, they, they don't have much around uh, Spencer Rattler to help. So, uh, frankly, to your point, people don't think this game matters, but I tell you, these fan bases, it certainly matters. Yeah, I think that Spencer Rattler has been criminally undervalued. Mm-hmm. Not just last season, because at the end of last season, that November he had was memorable. Will yeah, never be forgotten by South Carolina fans. Mm-hmm. To get those wins over Tennessee and Clemson down the stretch of the 2022 season. Those are all-time performances. And I think he's been really good this season, too. But as you said, other than Xavier Leggett, there's just not a lot around this no. guy. No. Jack Joyner, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I've said it before. I, I, I look at some of these quarterbacks that we're going to hear their names called in the 2024 NFL draft that are going to go ahead of Spencer Rattler in all likelihood. I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a better career than a lot of those guys yes. at the next level. As for Devin Leary watching Kentucky intently against Alabama, um, you know, that offense is still, as much as you want to talk about the quarterback, it, it's still about tight ends and running backs. With Liam yep. Cohen yep. and his NFL background, you know, so with that, it's play action oriented. And I just don't know if that's Devin Leary's thing. I call Devin Leary the Sam Hartman of the SEC. <laughs> and the reason why yeah. is I think Sam Hartman experienced some of the same things mm-hmm. in going from Wake Forest to Notre Dame. Yeah. And you look at Notre Dame's record and you look at Sam Hartman's performance. I don't think it's been over the course of the season what people thought it would be with him making that move. So I think there's similar guys. I think for Kentucky, it always will go back to effectiveness running the football first and foremost. Uh, and that's why I think Ray Davis will rebound this week mm-hmm. against South Carolina and and probably have a pretty big game. And, and that'll help Devin Leary because Alabama wasn't going to let Ray Davis be no. last no. week. And once you take care of Davis, you don't have to worry about Leary beating you with his legs. True. So then you can pin your ears back in your pass rush and really get after Leary when he goes to throw the football. 8 Eastern on ESPN2 Saturday night. Late night with the Tigers. You want to talk about the Jaden Daniels effect? This game is actually going to air on ESPN2. And I'm a Sean Elliott fan, head coach at Georgia State. Mm -hmm. And the Panthers are Mm 6-4 overall. So, legitimate record, legitimate uh, group of five type team. Uh... Division one team, I guess. And so LSU at home uh, with Jaden Daniels going to take on Georgia State. And I'm going to ask you because you are a Heisman Trophy voter. I'm not going to tell you to give me your vote and your pecking order. But uh, I got to think Jaden Daniels has a spot on uh, Brent Beard's ballot right now. Oh, I I think he probably number one. Uh, And I think Michael Penix is up there. Also, and the Bronx Bowers have been healthy. Um, he, you know, I mean, he still could be that way, but but yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Trav, they they all they averaged, uh, I think it was 11 yards per play. And one of the more incredible stats I have ever seen in that Florida game. Well, think about this a minute. I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> you have and you've seen it. LSU ran 61 plays. And they scored 52 points. Trev, how many times have we seen that? 
Not often. Um, but that's what you get when you look at Jaden Daniels and the number. I mean, that was a historic night. It was. Last Saturday night for Jaden Daniels. And you're talking about 372 passing yards, 234 on the ground. So between running it and throwing it, 606 yards produced yeah. by Jaden Daniels yeah. in that game against Florida. And uh, look, the guys must see TV right now. And again, that's why a game in prime time against uh, an opponent like Georgia State is going to be on ESPN2, not yeah. SEC Network, not yeah. SEC Network Plus, not ESPNU, uh, but ESPN2 for the Tigers and the Panthers. So there you go. There's a rundown of this weekend's games. Brent, a lot to keep an eye on. And uh, I guess there could be some intrigue. I like this slate a little bit better than some years because at least we do get a matchup like Georgia mm-hmm. and Tennessee late. It seemed like in previous years, in our younger years, I guess you could say, Brent, we would this would be kind of the uh this would be kind of the Tennessee, Kentucky week, right? Before yeah. Tennessee Vanderbilt. Yeah. Uh so it was always kind of a sleepy week before rivalry weekend. But you know, there's a chance Florida, Missouri has a little pop in prime time. And again, not a slate that's gonna uh, keep you glued maybe throughout the day, but a couple of decent games. Well, and think about this. Uh, This is not confirmed yet. It will be in December, but there is a chance one of the options from the 12-game, 12-team playoff is going to be uh, uh, the games moving up. Uh, In other words, opening week will be the last Saturday uh, in, uh, August and Trout, The amazing thing is this weekend next year might be rivalry weekend and Thanksgiving weekend looks like it's going to be championship weekend. Boy, got to make about, room for that 12 team playoff that, that talk Trav, talk about, uh, a, a difference and what people have been expecting in tradition, boy, that would blow it out of the water, wouldn't it? It would. And then, yeah, I think weather is going to become an interesting okay. aspect of the Absolutely. expanded playoff. If we're going to have these, what, first round home games? Yes. Um, for yes. The, the higher seeds. Um, you know, I, even this weekend, I was wondering a little bit. Looks like Knoxville is going to be perfect Saturday, though. Yeah. I think they're projecting sunny with a high of 60. Mm-hmm. So that's glorious. Absolutely yeah, glorious football weather. But uh, some of these home games in the future in the CFP, it, it could be interesting from a weather perspective, especially okay. when you get maybe an SEC team going to Ann Arbor or something like that. Uh, snow game potential could could be in effect when we get to that point. But we got a lot of football to play, a lot of football to watch between now and then. Brent, as always, great stuff. Anything else before we get out of here? Yeah, I'll end with this, Trav. Uh, I know it's out of conference games, but boy, these two games going to have a lot to do uh, with where the playoffs are. Washington at Oregon State, Texas at Iowa State. Uh, boy, oh boy. Uh, Texas at number seven, Washington at number five, in a in a SEC team like Alabama, if if things go well, 
on Saturday, that could help them tremendously, couldn't it? I've said it all week. Washington goes down in Corvallis this weekend. Yeah, could be. My guy, Jonathan Smith, can coach football. He can, can he? And uh, I think Oregon State gets it done against Washington. Washington has had the look of a team just waiting to get beat here yes, for the last couple of three weeks. So uh, I think it happens. Yes. I think it happens in Corvallis. We'll see. All right, Brent, we'll do it again next week. Good. Can't wait, bud. Thanks much. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Until next time, so long, everybody.